0: you know that body language always speaks, and when you are desperate, if you are in fact truly desperate, guess what? It, it's going to show. It's going to show more than internally. If you see somebody in a store frantically, you know, sweating, panicked, you think, okay, they're not just looking for the, the dairy aisle. There's probably something a little more serious. Maybe they lost their wallet. Maybe they lost their keys. Maybe they lost their child. But body language speaks about the level of desperation that we have. We've just sung a song that reflects desire, hunger. And I tell you what, this is how... God measures us. What is the level of hunger that you have? If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And so we are learning as a people, whether you're online or here in the room, we are learning here at Community Church to seek him and to find him. And if we're not finding him, realize that we have not satisfied The equation that requires, that he requires for him to be found. So I want to say to you today, there is an opportunity in front of us. How great is your need and how desperate are you today? If you're bound by sin, if you're bound by depression, if you're bound by drugs, if you're bound by lust, if you're bound by pornography, if you are bound, if you need freedom... There is freedom that can be found for everything that ails us. Father, we want to take this morning as an expression of our desire, the desire of our lives, not just to get by, but God, to have everything that you said that you would give us. Lord, we want to say today, we want more of you. Can you say amen? All right, so I invite you to cry out to God to take this time to seek Him with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind today. I feel I want to leave some time today at the end of the meeting for us to go into worship, because I really believe the Lord wants to do something in our hearts here today. And so, uh, Father, we, we want to say, God, we want to say, Lord, We, we need more of you. Father, we pray that you would stamp our hearts today with a new grace, a new capacity to seek you with all of our strength, all of our heart, all of our mind. In Jesus' name, you know what, The, the gathering of the saints is the cornerstone of Of being the church, because, like embers in a fire, they don 't burn well by themselves, right they they need the collective strength to to grow, and so there's a principle in there where our assembly as as the church and what we do in uh, in these seasons, in these moments are key. To where we go in the future and how we grow and so it's not a small thing that churches cannot gather it's not a small thing it's not just an inconvenience it is literally a spiritual assault on the very DNA of the church and uh, I mean never mind all of the additional political considerations that we know from history of what is accomplished in the seasons when people are not allowed to have peaceful assembly, the reality is the reason those things are written in our constitutions is because uh, people wiser than us in former days understood that these things were the cornerstone of freedom. And and that to enable to for freedoms to continue, they wrote these rules into our constitution. They said basically this is the the basic ground, these are the things that are essential for the preservation of freedom. And so today I'm not saying that I'm not preaching on that, but you know, I am passionate about about these things. Because wisdom is the knowledge of causes, among other things. You can call it that, the knowledge of causes. And with wisdom, you understand that, hey, if we do this and this, then way over here, the outcomes are going to be inevitably this. And wisdom is seeming to be something that is in short supply today because it seems that decisions are being made without an understanding of the long-term consequences of them. But Jesus has been made unto us wisdom. Jesus is wisdom incarnate. And so we are calling, our voice, our sound in the nation of Canada is the sound of wisdom. If there's going to be wisdom in the earth, it's not going to come on the heels of intelligence. If there's wisdom in the earth, it's not going to come... Because of the, uh, the building up of knowledge, wisdom is another thing entirely. It's not intellectual capacity. It's not information or data. Wisdom is a third or fourth dimensional way of seeing knowledge and data. So, Father, we cry out today for our, our land. We say, Lord, let wisdom be had in alberta father let a spirit of wisdom fall on our political representatives let a spirit of wisdom fall on jason kenny today let a spirit of wisdom fall on the medical community father in jesus name in jesus name I'm going to milk this for a second because I feel I feel we need to be praying for our political leaders at this time. But I watched a movie the other day called The Darkest Hour, which was really largely about Winston Churchill's ascent into being the lion heart or the lion of uh, the British the British Empire. Um, and uh, one of the things that he was was uncompromising in his understanding of evil. He was uncompromising in his belief that you cannot negotiate with evil. That there's nothing in evil that you... He believed in absolute evil, for starters. And there's, the, there's part of the issue. You have people today who don't believe in absolute evil. They believe that, you know, people are just misguided. People are just, you know, they, what they need is a hug. Right, uh, you might laugh at that, but that's actually the secret belief that there's nobody really evil that people just are misunderstood, and they've been made deficient by virtue of circumstances that they are not in charge of, and therefore, we just have to create systems that pull them gently out of their bad decisions. No, I want to declare today, there is consummate evil. There is ultimate evil, and there are people who are purposely aligned with evil. And I said it before, but I'll say it again. That when Satan came to Jesus and manifested himself and said to him, If you will worship me, I will give you, and he showed him, all the treasures of the earth. Jesus never debated his right to do that. Jesus never speculated or said to him, Well, you you don't have that because you're not really in charge. He skipped right over that argument because he understood the dynamics of power that were at work in the earth, which I don't want to have to explain right now. But I tell you what, Satan has appeared to men and women around the earth today who are not ignorant, who do not, are not misunderstanding what is happening. They know what is happening, they just happen to believe. That this is the right way to go. But they know precisely what's going on. There is a global agenda to enslave the nations. Aren't they already enslaved? Absolutely. But more so, except for the church of Jesus Christ. Except for the light of God that is in the world. That is embodied in a people expressed in a collective, which is us. We are the voice of reason, the voice of wisdom, the light set up on a hill. And it's time to burn brightly. It's time to burn uncompromisingly. Are you hearing me today? Father, in Jesus' name, we say raise up men and women in the marketplace of Alberta that understand what's at stake. Father, raise up, Lord, a lion heart like Winston Churchill in our political sphere that will not bow the knee to evil. And Winston Churchill, he had it right from the beginning. And though he was a flawed man like other other men, he knew that there is no compromising, there's no middle ground when it comes to Herr Hitler. And and he was he was thought to be ignorant and obstinate and foolish and you know there, and everybody's thinking politically and well, you know, what would it benefit Hitler to do this and this and this? And they're thinking along the lines of of a mindset that is far less depraved but equally confused than Herr Hitler. I want to tell you something today. I have had a glimpse into the mindset of evil. I have had, I personally, before I was saved, had an experience where something came on me. I've never to this day talked about it, but I'm telling you, it was an insight that God permitted me to see, and it was key to why I came to Jesus Christ. But I had an insight into the global mindset of darkness. I saw the thoughts of Satan himself. I saw the attitude, how he looks at men—the scoffing, the scoffing, the ridicule, the belittling, the absolute. Utter contempt that Satan has for men and women, even those who serve him. The arrogance, the pride, the the sense of being insulated and that, that and free that, that destruction can never come to him. I saw the entire framework of that mindset, and I'm telling you, there is no other solution but destroying that source of evil. And we are here today. We are here as the church. You are called to see the destruction of the works of darkness. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the evil one. This is why we are here. Father, touch our political leaders. Lord, right now there's unbelievable pressure coming upon coming upon leaders political science leaders to do things that are against science to do things that are against our economy to do things that are against our well-being there is so much pressure and i tell you what there is an agenda behind it father in jesus name raise up something in alberta God, raise up a breakthrough of light and intercession and prayer and fasting that will break through, God, this curtain of darkness. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. This kind of leads into what I wanted to say. I feel like it all ties together, but... uh, I want you to turn to Numbers 14. Numbers 14. It's a, there's a story here, a circumstance you're, you're well aware of. I'm going to see if I can tie this together. I've got a lot to say today. and We'll see if we, uh, well, seeing as we cut worship a little early, and then we'll, we'll go into worship at the end, because I believe there's work to be done today. I believe there's work to be done inside of our spirits. I believe there's something to be laid hold of. Father, help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. So the scenario in Numbers 14 is that Israel refused to enter into Canaan. You remember that idea? Why did they refuse to enter into Canaan? Right? Because they were scared. They were fearful. They were afraid of the giants that were in the land. And so God, though God had already abundantly showed them that he was prepared to act on their behalf and that there was plenty of backing for whatever they needed, they still, when they came up to it, they still were measuring their ability to succeed by their own military strength and their, 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 their human limitations. And so God is mad at them. And, uh, and there's a big response here. It says, so all the congregation lifted up their voices, and uh, the people wept that night. So essentially, they're, they're, they rejected God. And you can read the whole chapter. And it's, I mean, it's amazing what has happened here. There's, there's an encouragement that comes in verse 9 saying, listen, you don't understand this is actual a spiritual warfare, and everything that that kept them secure has been lifted from them. You know, what kept them secure is not their big cities. What kept them secure is not their military might and the size of their people, you know, the giants and you being gra- None of this really matters. This is a spiritual battle. This is what you need to realize, church. It's always a spiritual battle. Now, the trickle-down effect and the evidence of that win will always cause literal outcomes, but the, the essence of the, of the advance is in the Spirit. So he says in, uh, in verse 9, he says, their protection is, is departed from them. But then later on in verse 11... Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? Say, reject me. Let, me. let me tell you, disobedience is the rejection of God. How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe what I'm saying? That is the rejection of God. Well, you don't understand. It's not that we're rejecting you, God. It's just that we're not agreeing. It's just that we're afraid. It's just that we're, we're aware of things that perhaps you haven't noticed. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know what the rationale was behind this, but, but basically, you know, <laughs> this is the rejection of God. How long will they not believe me with all the signs that I have performed? And this is God's decision right here. I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, I won't tell you what happens with next, but I mean, I won't go line by line, but basically Moses intercedes. Moses cries out and he gives God really good reasons why maybe this isn't what we should be doing I know, I know, yeah, they're stubborn, they're unbelieving, they're disobedient, they're, they're hard-hearted, they're all of those things, they're not willing to perform your will. They're all those things, but, but if you do this, and so God recants, relents, he s- steps back from that. He steps back from that. In verse 19, then he says this. and what, Listen to this really carefully because it articulates uh, something that we need to grab a hold of today. Verse 19, pardon the iniquity of, of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have given this people from Egypt even until now. That's the essence of of his intercession. God, pardon them, pardon them, pardon them. Now, we don't know how long this conversation took place. Believe me, it was more than the words that are written on the page. But in verse 20, God says, I have pardoned according to your word. I, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to wipe them off the face of the earth. I'm not going to destroy them. I'm not going to start from scratch. But, but, and this is the important but, and this is not a message for Israel from 5,000 years ago. This is a message for us right today. Realize this but, realize that this statement that follows is the inevitable future that we face. And it is the purpose for which you are in this room today. It is the purpose for which you were delivered from darkness. And this is it. He says, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. What, what, what is going on here? God, in his wisdom, took Israel out of 430 or so years of slavery. They were only supposed to be there 400. They decided, for good measure, to throw in an extra 30 years. Hardness of heart, disobedience, lack of faith. It does those kinds of things, but uh, they, they, they are brought out of slavery, and and like most of us, they are thinking this is great. We were slaves, and now we're free. Ooh, God! Yay, God! Go us! Right? They're excited. This is great. This is this. Uh, finally, the end has been realized. The dream that we've always hoped for, and God is. God has liberated us, and he's bringing us into a land of milk and honey, right? And so they're on their way. You know what the mistake they made? They they thought it was about them. They thought it was about their freedom. They thought it was about their well-being. They thought it was about, ultimately, we're not slaves anymore. It's done. It's done. It's done. Because that's as far into the purposes of God as they could see. Let me tell you today, there are people scattered throughout the nation, all of which are Christians, but some do not see as far into the purposes of God as others. In the way that God has so structured his kingdom, and I can't preach on this today, is that he takes a man like Paul and he takes him to heaven and he shows him insights about the kingdom. He shows him deeper into the purposes of god and that's why it was paul and not peter and not james and not thomas and not the others that wrote so much about the apostolic purposes of god and that's why the the characteristic of paul's apostolic journey was always pushing them deeper into god's purposes. And that's what our job is as leaders. We're trying to pe- pull people as deep into an understanding of purpose as possible. And by pushing them deeper into God's purposes, we're actually pulling people out of their own. So what that means is this. Is that for you and for me and for Israel back then, there are competing Ambitions. Competing ambitions, because if you have not fully appreciated what God said, there's there's no vacuum inside you. Believe me, you are devoted to another list of of outcomes. There are things, how many of you, when you were young, I saw something on Facebook today, how many of you, when you were young, you had a Christmas list like this long? All right, somebody just wrote, you know, uh, as you get older, your Christmas list gets shorter and shorter because they realize the things you want you can't buy. And that's a great little saying. But I tell you, I, I don't have a very long Christmas list. I can't even think of anything hardly that I, that I need that I can't already get. But but the point is is that there's always a list of things that we want. But here's the thing. God also has a list. God is committed to his list more than he's committed to your list. And what he's doing, he's trying to get you to to look at his list and begin to value the things that he values more than the things that you value. And Israel was in the unenviable position that all they could see was, I mean, they were like blind, brute beasts just wanting to get out. We just want to get out. We just want to get out. And having no clue how to get out, They couldn't even grab a hold of the favor of God to get out. Father, help us, God, I pray today. Make this shift. And so in the end, when they have acted towards their own interests, they have acted to get the thing that they wanted, and God was angry at it, and God said, This is not why I freed you. Let me tell you, today God is looking at the body of Christ and the church of Jesus. And he's saying, listen, I did not save you so that you could only have a nice life. The goal, the highest priority is not your nice life. There is a nice life to be had, and that is in the wake of the promises. But you have to pay it forward. That's how the kingdom of God works. You have to abandon your interests and lay hold of His. And then later on, you're going to realize, lo and behold, my interests have been met in the course of following after His interests. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all, 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 All these things will be added to you. But there's something about us that sets our eyes on our interests and is fixed there. And then when it's time for us to turn and give ourselves to God's interests, we suddenly begin to fear that we might lose the ground that we've already gained. And what the enemy does is he comes in and he uses the fact that we have a vested interest in maintaining this to keep us from advancing into this. That's what he does. So for Israel, they're they're sitting there. This is great. We're out from under the heels of Egypt. We're gone. We're free from Pharaoh. No more slavery. No more slavery. And then they come up to the land as they're going to do God's bidding. and they're Like, wait a minute. We now have freedom. We got something to lose. That's the problem. The man and the woman with nothing to lose is dangerous. The man and the woman with something... Uh, w- who, did I say that right? Some, with nothing to lose is dangerous. Somebody with something to lose is manipulatable they are malleable you start applying enough threat and they will come into line and that's what happened is that that israel was seduced into accepting in the order of things a lower outcome than god had redeemed them for let me tell you this same battle that's going on right now with us today right now with us today God give us the courage of our fathers Lord who laid down their lives who went to Europe Lord, to face ultimate evil expressed in military, political, and economic might, Lord, they laid down their lives. You know, I'm sure a lot of them had dreams. I'm sure a lot of them thought about getting married. They probably had girlfriends back home or wives. Some of them may be children. They probably had expectations of of a sports careers or political careers or or economic you know advancement of some kind but they realize no we are in a place of ultimate jeopardy that if this thing is not stopped we lose all you see that's the beauty of living in the wake of god's perspective god understands better than winston churchill the uh the un, unsatisfiable drivenness of evil. He, uh, he understood that, listen, you cannot leave evil alone. It is a black hole, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It must be annihilated. And I'm, I, this is the heart of God. I'm looking for a generation who understand. That their existence is for the purpose of destroying evil in the earth, beginning with that opening in their own soul. The annihilation of darkness, beginning with me, is the agenda of God, and He says, to, "Listen." He says to Moses, "Make no." Let me be clear about this, Moses. Don't, don't be fooled into thinking uh, I'm pardoning on a whim here that I'm a softy. As truly as I live, this thing is not going to stop. This train is not going to stop short of the goal that I've seen it fulfill. And furthermore, if you look at the other promises, there will be a generation whose impulse will not be to stop short, who will fully apprehend the necessity, the blessing, the wonder, the possibility of the vision that I have that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I'm telling you, when you got born again and God put a seed inside of you, in that seed is this promise. And I'm praying today. That the DNA of that reality will burn inside of you. It will become the greatest priority of your life. You know what the greatest priority means? That's like the pearl of great price that a man found in 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 a piece of land. And he went and he sold everything else that he had to apprehend that. Let me ask you, is everything on the table? Is everything on the table for us? Is everything on the table? Like, do we really believe in the resurrection? Do you believe if you lay your life down that you will not lose your life? Do you believe that if you lay down a car, a marriage, a house, uh, a future in order to advance the kingdom of God. And If you die prematurely or if you give yourself to this and that thing is not realized, that dream, that sports career, that that pristine marriage, that white picket fence, whatever it is, whatever it is that you want to hold on to, are you ready to lay that down? The pearl of great price is an endless kingdom, is the Prince of Peace. It is Jesus. It is God himself enthroned with humanity, having given up everything else. This is what Jesus did. Satan said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you this. That challenge remains, but guess what? It didn't take all of the treasures of the earth to get everyone to bow down. Some people will bow down for a white picket fence. Some people will bow down for an emotionally stable relationship. Some people will bow down for an incremental gain that is really in the light of eternity quite insignificant. See, the nature of what it means to be Christian is essentially uncompromising because we know, we know that we know that we know there's only one outcome. There is only one outcome, and he shall reign forever and ever. He will reign. He will reign. He will reign. And every other dominion, every other structure, every other reward system, every other pecking order, every other seeming, uh, enlightening, valuing system that makes you feel important, it's going to disappear. <sighs> Whatever competitive advantage you think you have in these systems are, are lo- going to be lost in the next Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Lord, help us. How are we doing here for time? We got, i got loads of time. Loads of time. Say, look. Never mind. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, one of the other manifestations, and you see this all throughout Israel's journey, and this is the point. This is the point of Israel's journey. Is it's given as a warning to us today. So listen, beware, Hebrews, lest an evil heart of unbelief be in you. Why did he say that? Because it's not possible? Yeah. No. <laughs> Can you tell when I'm kidding? So it's we're warned to not fall into their own. They're the Israel's errors. So here's, here's, here's a snapshot of Israel's errors. Joshua 13, 13. This is repeated again and again. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Gershurites or the Machestites, I think. But the Jeshurites and the Machestites dwell among it, the Israelites to this day to this day so here's what happened right men dreamed they had aspirations they they were looking for certain things to be accomplished oh if i could just get that degree if i could just get this job if i could just become the president of the water buffalo lodge if i could just you know whatever be the lead knitter in martha's knitting world whatever accomplishment, whatever pinnacle you have imagined, whatever will give you that sense that of, of importance and significance that you crave, right? Because this is really at the heart of these things. Whatever it is needs to be traded in today for one higher calling, for one higher calling. Ask the Lord right now, Father, give me a heart. Give me an eye that's fixed on one higher calling. Lord, give me a vision that's equal to your vision. Lord, give me a desire for what you want and only what you want. So basically, we had uh, two tribes, Manasseh, and I can't remember the other one. Maybe it was Reuben. They had lots of cattle, and they, they came to the river... Uh, the Jordan River, and they said, listen, we'll take this piece over here. Like, you guys go ahead. You go take that land. Uh, We're good here. All our needs are met here. And so you have to get this picture because it's a picture of us here today. All right? There's a picture of us today. Imagine you... In this congregation you watching are representative of all Israel and we have different ambitions, different goals that we, we that need to be realized and once we've achieved our goals, we're done. Right? We're finished. I don't I'm good. I'm good. You know, if you guys want to go and fight for more land on the other side of the Jordan, You go, because I'm good with this. And God was angry at those tribes. He was angry. Why? They're doing it again. They're doing it again. We got what we want. God. Rejecting God. We don't care what you want. Because we got what we got. When I think about... The accumulation of freedoms, the accumulation of of capacities that make you a stable, reasonable, uh, under-human being, uh, a good person, whatever. Whatever you measure the accomplishments since you became a Christian, as each thing, as things are being added to you, now you're not struggling with this. Woohoo, that's great. But at some point, you begin to think, this is enough. I'm happy. I'm good. I don't need any more. But God is saying to you this, that vision is standing in competition to my vision. That idea that this is enough is giving God the finger. I don't care about what matters to you. I got what I got. Can you see why God is angry? And he would have destroyed them all. You think, well, you know, they're all the understanding people. Well, they were afraid. Well, you know, they you have to realize they had just come out of slavery, and you know, the dynamics, the sociological effects of slavery caused you this, and, and you're not able, you should have God should have had more compassion. That God be true and every man a liar. This is I'm telling you, this is what we're up against. A humanistic mindset that is set upon the things that are favorable to men. And when Jesus rebuked Satan and Peter, he said, You are not mindful of the things that are of God, but the things that are of men. There is a voice that is seducing the body of Christ with things that he knows you are mindful of. And he says, Listen, this is enough. What is my?" talking about what is this thing you know you just can't be unreasonable about these things you got to stop when you've got enough and you got to play your cards right I'm not playing my cards right I'm laying my life down because there's a mark of a high calling in Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul had not even realized And he said, what things were gained to me, these have counted loss. This is the gospel. Is it at work inside of you? Is it occupying a bigger space today than it was yesterday? Are the fires burning inside of you saying, you know, I'm glad I have my kids. But man, when push comes to shove, will I bow to the God of this world? to preserve what I have, or do I know, do I really know that none of this is going to last? And whether it's a thousand years or ten thousand years, it is but a moment. See, we're all one day going to face the great exchange where we realize what we cashed in for eternity. (sighs) Father, help us so i I shared on a Facebook thing this last week a principle and why is why is this important? Let me explain because, as I said, inside of us, Paul understood this very well, he said, inside of me there's something in my flesh that is hostile to God there's something not out there, he said, but right in here that is hostile to God. There's something in me that's hostile to God, that's willing to draw a line, not when all the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, but there's something that's self-satisfying in me where I would be prepared to trade this in for the rest, that I'm going to leave the rest on the table, so to speak. But it's in us, and so I felt this last week, I saw this glimpse, and I saw this, this thing, this dynamic, it's illustrated throughout the Old Testament, and Jesus dealt with it in his disciples, but it's called the fifth column, and uh, I've been doing a little poll, and evidently some people don't know what a fifth column is, and I've used the term a couple of times, and somebody came in this morning and said, I got bad news for you. Said I, did a, I was with a group the other night. I did a poll. I said, who understands what a fifth column is? And nobody in the room un- knew what a fifth column was. I thought, I must have watched a lot more war movies when I was a kid than most others. A fifth column, what is it? A fifth column is any group of people who undermine a larger group from within, usually in favor of an enemy group or nation. The activities of a fifth column can be overt or clandestine. Forces gathered in secret can mobilize openly to assist an external attack. So how does this affect the kingdom of God? Well, it affects everything that we're about. Because like what Paul was saying, listen, I've got a fifth column inside of me. I got something that's willing to compromise with the spirit of this world. I got something that's willing to settle. I got something that's hostile to God advancing my life because this thing, it means loss. This mean, means destruction. This thing has a life and a mind of its own. So, uh, and it is disposed against the plan and the purposes of the kingdom of God for my destiny. So you know what? You need to be disposed against it. You need to be doing whatever you can to pull from that thing that's inside of you. But how often does it come into play? Does it really fit in the context of what we're talking about? Let me say it this way. When it comes to a fifth column, it's like this. When you have an active ingredient, a chemical agent that that goes this way, for example, a certain kind of acid, sulfuric acid, right sulfuric acid is contrary to most of the things we know. You put sulfuric acid in a styrofoam cup, yeah, the acid wins, right? The acid will eat away the acid has the c- potential to eat through things. there are even more caustic kind of especially if you look at sci-fi movies a lot of you know supernatural forces that eat through metal and concrete and all these kinds of things these things are caustic to the world around them and the only way to overcome them is you can't close them in you can't lock them in you can't shut them in you can't well that's what the light of god is the light of god is a caustic agent The light of God is an impenetrable, unstoppable, unapproachable force that will consume the darkness. In insufficient measures, in a nation, in a person, in a province, in a city, it is an unchangeable, unstoppable agent of change. Right? So your only hope is to dilute it. The only thing is to dilute it. And what the enemy has been doing from the beginning till now is trying to dilute that commodity out of your being with something else. And there's only two things. There's either your interests or God's interests. That's why when Jesus had that confrontation with with a uh, Satan, but it was Peter speaking, he said, you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. In other words, you bring men under your tentacles and under your control by offering them what you know they want. By offering them, satisfying them, and to Christians what you do is you, you don't satisfy them with what they you know they don't want and what they know that's not right, usually, But you give them something approximate to what they believe is right, something that's justifiable. That, you know, well, and what it amounts to is what Israel did. God said, go into the land, take it all, kill every inhabitant, remove them all. But they got in there, and they got into houses. And they had kids by now. And like, man, this is so good. We have a life. We have a possible life. And, and somebody, some do-gooder comes along and says, yeah, but God said to destroy all of them. And over there in the mountains are these other enemies. Yeah, but they're not bothering us. They're not really bothering us. We could, we could get by. This is a situation we can live with. We could, I well, isn't that compromise? Well, no. We could get to them later. But they never get to them. They're never ever. Once you embark on that course of trading in present interests for future threat, you you never face that giant again. You just lose the courage to do so. Because you said no to the grace of God. You said no to a voice inside of you. You said no to faith. You said no to obedience. And... God gives you leanness of soul. Leanness of soul. Which makes you quite willing to accept compromise. Uh, You know, we love these movies, right? Robert the Bruce and, uh, what's the other guy's name? William Wallace, right? We love the, the champion. We love the Winston Churchill. We love them only if they win. But the Bible says, these are the heroes of faith. And what should I say about all the others? Those that were sawn asunder, those that were burnt at the stake, those who were beheaded, those that were, they're also heroes of faith. Are you guys with me still? Well, there is a a fifth column. Now, let me breeze through this really quickly. So I want to be done in 10 minutes but militarily a fifth column in your ranks is a very dangerous thing it actually compromises all your tactical abilities and all your strategies as a military force and so we actually see the manifestation of this in 1st Samuel 14:20 20 to 22 the context is is the time when Jonathan went up against the garrison of the Philistines and a great victory happened and Saul was over there doing his thing and inquiring of the lord you know really just delaying the inevitable because he didn't really want to go to battle he was afraid and uh, but Jonathan began this thing and all of a sudden there began to be a tumult in the camps of the Philistines and uh, and uh, and here's what happens is when when the when the glory of God advances in a military setting of the Old Testament the recipients of that advance you know the the ones who are victimized by that advance they end up falling into confusion and turning their swords on one another right that's what they do and that is a whole teaching in and of itself but but that is because right inside them inside of their own being is a fifth column uh, the possibility that they can turn their sword on their neighbor immediately to, to their side. But this fifth column here in this circumstance was even more significant than that. Let me read. It says, then Saul, in verse 20, And all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was a great confusion. So they come over the hill or whatever. They see the Philistines like, hey, man, this, we've already won. This is great. But here's what happened. He said, not only was there an anxiety and a confusion that rose up, kind of what you happen, have happen in church, uh, churches where there are divisions in churches, and all of a sudden brother rises up against brother. That's a similar version, but on the other side of what happened right here. But listen to this. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them into the battle. So here's what happened. There were defectors. There were people living in Philistine. They had lived there long enough. They were there considered one of the bunch. And so when the Philistines were going up against Israel, right, they had people with divided interests in their ranks. They had people who were Israeli blood. And when the battle turned around these guys guess what they joined Israel's side but they were right there in the middle of them that is what you call a dilution of your your army you have an inability to have full commitment on part of the whole army right so that's that's the fifth column in your ranks so they learn from that circumstance in 1st Samuel uh 14 such that in 1 Samuel 29, David and his men are now living with the king uh, of a Philistine king named Akish, right? We'll say he's Akish, he's a, he's a breakfast, egg, omelet kind of thing. And uh, so he's with them. They're going up to battle against Israel. David's there, he's in their hind ranks. He's, a, he's, he's there, and he's got mighty men with him. And it says Then the Philistines gathered together. All of their armies at Aphek, and the Philistines, or the Israelites, encamped by a fountain which is in Israel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear of Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of the Saul, of the king of Israel, who has been with me these days, these years? They say, look, don't worry, he's good. He's good. He's, he's not going to be a fifth column. He's, he's loyal. He's faithful. He's, he's been with me a long time. He really hates Saul. He's safe. Right? You think. He said, I, and, and to this day, I found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. said to the princes of the Philistines said to him, make this fellow return and go back. So they said, no, he's not going to come up to battle with us lest he becomes our adversary. Because we can't handle that in our midst. Now, coming to a close. Jesus was building an army. He's building a people. He's building a mighty nation. And in John chapter 6, verse 61 to 64... He is walking with a group of people who presumably are following him, who presumably have counted the cost, who presumably have said, no, we've found the pearl of great price. We're going to follow you. We want, you know, your God, your kingdom come. Hallelujah, let's go on. From this. this is great. This is wonderful. You know, you're serving us uh, loaves and fishes and everything. What could be bad about this? This is super, Right? And Jesus comes to them, and he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. It's a new doctrine. Okay, guys, pull out your notebooks. Okay, I know it says in the, your you know, Jewish Bible, don't do this and don't do this. But today you're going to drink blood, and you're going to eat human flesh. Okay, this is problematic. This is problematic because, because these guys are like, Huh. You know, wait, we got healings, we got miracles, we got promise of a, of a future. Uh, here's a line I'm not sure we can cross. Here's a line I'm not sure we can cross. And, and, uh, and I love preaching on this passage because it's so key. Right? Because Jesus, when he's dealing, when he's exposing your flesh, he's not rationalizing. When he's exposing your flesh, he wants you to see face-to-face what is your most normal, intuitive response. He doesn't want to say, okay, everybody, gets, get, listen, I'm going to say something. It's just a test. I'm going to say something. It really is biblical. I'll explain later. Don't tell anyway. Shh. It's not a real test if you think it's a test. It's not a real test if you don't think it's real. If it's not a real test, if it doesn't strike, at your fear, if it doesn't strike at your pride, if it doesn't strike at the fifth column that's inside of you. I don't give you a rationale to be able to deal with your natural emotional responses when I'm testing your, natu- your emotional equilibrium. Right? So he's, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained... He, he, about this, he said to them, does this offend does this you? Are you serious? You didn't think that? <laughs> I, you know what? That happens actually quite naturally. I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations, I've said something that I, in the moment, it was just, just came out of me, and people were livid, mad, swearing at me. Christians, you know. <laughs> and afterwards, I thought, oh, yeah, I can see why that would be a problem for you. But in the moment, I just didn't see it. Jesus is genuinely, what? Does this offend you? Like, and his, his rationale is, listen, I've been anointed every time I'm with you. I'm always speaking out of the same source. I'm saying what I hear God say. I'm speaking anointed words. The words I speak to you are spirit and life. So, you know, I just threw out more spirit and life. I, I thought you guys were on board. I thought you guys knew the burning of the Holy Spirit and the voice of God and you thought, oh, this is what we want, we're with this, but wow, throw in a couple of different themes and you guys are we're gone. So he says, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend before he was before? It is the Spirit who gives flesh and the flesh, uh, the Spirit who gives life and the flesh profits nothing. Now listen to this. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you who did not believe. Say, so this is a moment like the Philistine moment. This is a moment when Jesus is taking a survey. He's reviewing the troops. He's looking at the troops. And he says, hmm, there's unbelief in some of these guys. And that unbelief, I know what it does. It causes a fifth column. It will turn on me. I know what it is. Just give it enough promise. Just give it enough incentive. That thing's going to bite me. So it's time to purge the fifth column from our ranks. It's time to get rid of this. In this case, its name is unbelief. Its name is unbelief. Right now, all across the earth, God is assembling an army to go to battle with the captain of the Lord of hosts, that is he. He has assembled us. He has blown a trumpet. He has said to you, I am going to consummate the kingdom shortly. I am about to release things the earth has never seen. I am about to give promotions. I'm about to pour out anointings. I'm about to empower a people of faith in the earth like no other. I'm about to do these things. I'm about to say to you, go two by two. And whatever whatever place you go.'" Oh, there's going to be anointing to cast out demons and to declare and bring the kingdom. But some of you do not believe. Some of you do not believe. This journey, my journey, your journey, our discipleship, is always filtering out because okay, we laid down that one, we laid down that, we laid down that, we laid down that, and then when you start to get uncomfortable, you know, well, well, you know, in in that movie Braveheart, it was not the poor with nothing who were refusing to give all; it was the guys that had come along, and man, now we got lands and houses. Now we got we got a you know we got titles in in england and in scotland we've got something to lose here and so the very definition of what it means to be a leader in that culture becomes the very essence of what it means to be noble is the ability to compromise The ability to leverage the interests of all in order to gain interest for yourself. The ability to be vulnerable to the voice of Satan that is mindful of what can I promise you that will get you to turn around and back down. To this all, the voice of the Lord says the same thing that the voice of the Lord said to Moses. I don't care what it takes As surely as I live, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I am assembling an unconquerable force. I am perfecting a commodity in the earth. An agency that is caustic to darkness. Able to consolidate a system that is beholden to me and me alone. And I'm looking for people who see the, the, the permanence of that system. Who see the unconquerable essence of that system. Who know come hell or high water, come loss or gain, this is the ultimate reality that we are giving ourselves to. The kingdom of God. One king, one Lord, one spirit. It begins, it begins, as Jesus said, do you believe? Father, now, that can mean, that can mean all kinds of things. And you might be thinking, I'm thinking about you. And this thing, or this thing, or this thing, or this thing. I'm telling you, I'm not. I'm telling you, I'm talking about a paradigm that has existed before the foundations of the earth. A system for cleansing and creating disciples and committed warriors to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, a system to make uh, a party of people spiritually indivisible in their hearts, no matter what is being offered. This is. The, the work of the Holy Spirit, and this is the way that we are going. Father, I pray, God, can you give me the kind of heart that David had? David was called the servant of God. David loved God in a way that made him distinct in his generation. It was a capacity to be full-hearted, For the interests of God, no matter what. And David was that kind of man. The Apostle John was that kind of man. Above Peter, above James, above the other nine. Right? He was that way. He had a proximity. He had a place in Jesus' life and heart. There is a capacity that can be given to us by Holy Spirit today. How do you get that? By looking at the thing you were willing to promise, that you were willing to exchange, that you, the thing that you were devoted, what is it am I devoted to? Could I confess Christ and risk beheading? I mean, that's not a cost we're being asked to do today, but could I do that? Honestly, could I do that? Well, you know, but it's not fair to the kids. Uh, it's not fair to this. And it's, well, what if then? And... The pearl of great price sold all. Sold all. Sold all. Jesus said, unless you are willing to lay down your life, you are not worthy of me. That is, if you take your life, you lose it. If you lose your life, You gain it. The divide between what you're willing to give up, that line has got to be obliterated. Father, Father, we don't know how to be this kind of man or woman. We don't know how to do this. God, we're crying out to you today. Help us, God. We don't know how to be this. We don't know how to be that committed. We don't know how to not protect our interests. We don't know how to not fear. We don't know how to not back up. We don't know how to not compromise. There's a work that Holy Spirit wants to do inside of us today. It it comes down to everything. Even... Your ability to cry out to God. You know, the Bible says, uh, guard your heart, for out of it come the issues of life and death. The heart is the governor. It, it's a governor. Have you ever been on a, a golf court and you can't go very fast? It's so frustrating. Have you ever tried to cry out to God and you can't because there's a governor? That's your heart. Something limiting your heart. Something in your heart. Uh, I want to be dignified. I want to be stayed. I don't want to look like that guy. I don't want to be too much of this. We're asking God to change our heart. Asking God, change the settings of my heart. So that I can cry out to you with my whole heart. With my whole heart. And somebody says, well, why do I have to cry out to God with all this passion? God's not reluctant to hear me. I I don't have to overcome God's reluctance. It's not God's reluctance you're overcoming. It's your own. It's your reluctance. That's the problem. And he's waiting for you to stop being reluctant, to cry out with all your heart. And you can't do that. And you don't know how to do that. And no matter what techniques you try to impose on yourself, it doesn't change the fundamentals of your heart. That should bring a frustration that results in an intensity that you've never known. That's where a heart is changed. In the dynamics of that tension. But I'm telling you, it can be done. I'm crying out for it. There are people, and I look at them, and I say, why can't I cry out to you, God, like that one? I look at Jenna Oates. Come here, Jenna. I look at Jenna Oates. You know... She has not been a Christian very long, but her heart opens wide in a way that challenges me. And I think I cannot open that large. God, God, and God is saying, Watch out, Christians. There's a people who don't know me yet, but they know how to open their heart. And when I show myself to them, they are going to cry out, and I will come, I will come because of them. It can be us with them or them alone. God, 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 God. I want to encourage you. Today is the beginning of a new day. Today is the beginning of a new pursuit. Today is the beginning of a time and a season of fasting and praying in your life to change something you never knew needed changing. We have been trying to modify the things coming out of our heart. But it's the heart that needs to change. Not just what comes out of it. Not just the words that come out of your lips. Oh, oh, God, release a new pursuit of you in this people that will result in a kind of transformation not only in what we do but in how we see everything oh for your glory for your glory oh
1: I just see these beings going through the room and they're providing this opportunity for us to take off these garments and their names are reputation. Their names are self-preservation. And we carry them. And we think that we need them for our protection, but they're coming around and they're just giving tugs on our shoulders. And they're saying, will you let go? it's like these ones come and they'll take them and they're taking them away and others are coming and they're coming and bringing them and offering these garments of
0: Now hold on a second, listen. Listen. Listen to me. At the I had written down at the end of my message a verse and three words. And the verse was this, and I totally forgot to share it. And I was standing up here thinking, am I supposed to go back to that? But what she just prayed was those things. And it was the scripture from Revelation 3. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, I counsel to buy from me gold. I counsel you. And I thought, Lord, there's going to be a call to lay down the garments. The the garments of pride and ambition. And I can't remember what the third one was. But the very, she said, she said, image, reputation. This is. These are, the, these are the things. This is not man. There is a divine exchange happening in the room. There's a divine exchange. This is for you. A complacent, guarded, and proud heart. so much easier to deal with words that should or should not be spoken it's so much easier to deal with behavior that should be curtailed or or advanced but the heart Jeremiah said the heart is deceptive desperately wicked completely bankrupt and insolvent God, change our hearts, we pray. Well, we're going to bring today's service to a close because what we're after is not an event, not a highlight. It, it can evolve over consecutive moments like these, and these moments are not unimportant But we're looking for more than a thrilling highlight. Our lives will not be compiled of the highlight reels that we've assembled and try to present heaven. But the condition of our heart at the close of our lives will be what he stamps, finished or not. Father, bless this time. Holy Spirit, hover over us as we leave today. Show us what we can have if we really want it.